You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. There's a problem that crops up sometimes in some churches. It's not a new problem. It's quite an old problem. It's a problem that James identifies in his sermon or letter to the church in the first century. Get a hint in chapter 1 when he admonishes them to be not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word. He wants their lives to line up with what they say they believe and what they hear. We get another clues to what he's after the problem in his comparison between faith and works in the passage we just read together. James wants the behavior, the practices, the works of the people of God to stand in continuity, to line up, to mesh with the things we say we believe. James wants his hearers in the 21st century, he wants us in the 21st century to understand that living faith activates a faithful life, doesn't it? It's really the bottom line for James. Living faith activates a faithful life. So what does living faith look like? James sets it up in terms of contrast, doesn't he? Different ways to kind of think through this. James is quite striking. He says you've got faith on the one hand that's alive, or a little bit later he says it could be dead. Now, dead faith isn't much of faith, is it? You've got the faith like Abraham, he says, or in contrast, you've got what he's going to call demon faith. Anybody want to jump on that ship? Demon faith. (laughs) We'll get to that in a second. So he uses Abraham for this uh, example of this, this rich, robust, thick, authentic, living faith. He goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Abraham, who was a pagan, wasn't he? Worshipped false gods, and one day... The creator God calls him and says, Abraham, I want to use you and your family to bless the nations. And Abraham says, my family, I don't have one. I'm old and I don't have children and that ain't happening. God says, I promise you it will. I'm going to give you a son and he's going to have many children, grandchildren, and I'm going to use your family to bless the nations. Then one day, after Abraham believes God and begins to have confidence in him to do what Abraham does not have the power to do, only God can keep this promise. God gives him that son, Isaac. You can imagine how much Abraham loved his son, son of the promise, given to him by the power of God. And then God says, Abraham... I want you to give him back. 
It's startling to us that God would ask Abraham to sacrifice his only son. Abraham sets off to obey, though, doesn't he? And you get a glimpse of Abraham's faith and reading through Genesis and you read the story about Abraham and Isaac and a couple of servants arrive at the foot of the mountain where Abraham intends to obey God by sacrificing his son. It's absolutely startling and stunning. Abraham says to the servants, you wait here and we'll come back. Catch that? He doesn't say, I'll come back. He says, we'll come back. You read the text. Genesis. Abraham expects God to keep his promise. Now, how he expects God to do that, we have no idea. <laughs> Maybe he expects God to provide a different sacrifice. Maybe he expects God to raise his son from the dead. I don't know. But whatever it is, he expects God to keep the promise that he's going to use Isaac and his family to bless the nations. So what does he do? He starts hiking up the mountain. And what does God do? God doesn't want the boy. God wants Abraham, doesn't he? God doesn't want Isaac. God wants Abraham. He wants to know if Abraham will obey him without question, without qualification, without, hey, you know, could we do it this way? Maybe we can negotiate the obedience. Because that's how we do it, right? <laughs> hey, God, I know what you want me to do. I'm wondering if we could negotiate the terms of that a little bit. I know you want me to go on this mission trip in January, but I really don't want to use my vacation time. Maybe I could just serve on my day off somewhere or something like that. And we kind of negotiate with God. We know what he wants us to do. But we want to alter the terms a little bit. God says to Abraham, the, the lesson Abraham learned was that God didn't want Isaac. He wanted Abraham. And he found that he had all of Abraham. Isaac's life was spared. The Lord provided a ram. And both of them came back down the mountain. James says, if you want to know what faith looks like, <laughs> look at Abraham. His trust in God was active in his works. He wasn't a hypocrite. He wasn't one who said, yeah, I believe in God, and then live like the devil. He wasn't one who said, yeah, God's my God, I love God, and then does what he wants to do. No, he was willing to obey. That's living faith and a faithful life. Now James says you want to see the alternative, all you have to do is look at the demons. You believe that God is one, he says in verse 19, you do well. Talking to the person who says, I'll show you my faith, you show me your works. James responds, you believe in God, that God is one, you do well. He's quoting or alluding to Deuteronomy chapter 6, this great Jewish prayer that faithful Jewish people prayed every day, the Shema, hear O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. He says, James says, <laughs> even the demons believe that God is one. 
And this is where we begin to figure out what James is at, what he's after. James wants the church to realize that the devils are orthodox. The devils believe all the true things about God, the Trinity, Jesus, the Incarnation, the Atonement, the Resurrection, the Holy Spirit, all of it. The devils believe it. Satan himself knows without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. There are some preachers <laughs> who question that. Shouldn't be a preacher if you question the resurrection, by the way. <laughs> Occasionally on my social media, something will come along where pastor of such and such church just has questions about the resurrection. I want to go, the devil believes in the resurrection. The devil believes in one God, the Father Almighty, and Jesus Christ, His only Son. The devil believes in the Holy Spirit. The difference is that belief doesn't transform him. That creed doesn't change behavior, action, or life. That's the difference for James. He wants us to learn that belief and faith isn't just something that happens in our head where I stand up and say the creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. All that. Right? If I say it and it doesn't change me, it's not real. And James says, you want to know what the word for that is? <laughs> demon faith. For James, there's only two options. Authentic faith or demon faith. The faith of Abraham or the faith of the devil. Which one do you want? <laughs> this, by the way, is one reason you'll never hear me talk about interfaith dialogue. Talk about interreligious dialogue which can be a very healthy thing. But we should never pretend and never portray the Christian faith as one among many equal faiths. According to the Bible, there's only one faith. And it's the faith in the God who raised Jesus from the dead, and it's unqualified, and it's active through our love, it's active through our behavior, it's active through our works. only one faith. Not two, not three, not four, not four hundred, only one. James says everything else, it's not, it's, it's, call it something else. It's not faith. Now that's not very politically correct. <laughs> but hey, you know, it's the Bible. Last thing Jesus is worried about is political correctness. And the last thing his brother, James, is worried about is political correctness. For James, living faith is obedient faith, everything else is demon faith. So how does this show up in the church and in the community, in the world, right? A couple different ways. It shows up, we've already hinted at this, in a faith that's merely intellectual or academic or cognitive. Show up for an hour or so on Sunday morning, sing a song, say a creed, pray a prayer, listen to a sermon, go home, and that's the extent of my Christianity. 
I'm not thinking about how Jesus wants my faith to be active in love to my family or my coworkers or you know, the people I see during the week. I'm not engaged in that way. It's all just in my head and it doesn't actually change my heart. James says that's not, that's not living faith. It's dead faith, it's demon faith. He also says it shows up in the, in the person who, maybe it's not just this intellectual thing, it's just kind of like this attractive, I can say I go to church and then do whatever I want. This lawlessness or antinomian where I'm not empowered to, or I don't, I don't feel the necessity of serving the poor, James says. Or caring for those in need. James is deeply concerned about those in need. He believes that faith in Jesus should push us to do those kinds of things. And so if only our, if it only happens in our head, if we're kind of a live like the devil on Friday, go to church on Sunday, and nothing really changes, James says, you know, the demons are doing better than that. For James, living faith activates a faithful life. Brothers and sisters, Jesus did not die for us so that we can remain as we are. Jesus did not die for you so that you can remain as you are. This kind of thin, workless faith for James is that attitude. Jesus died for me, but it doesn't impact the way I live. To the contrary, Jesus died for us and was raised so that we could experience radical, complete, total transformation. So that we could become altogether different people. So we could go from death to life. So we could go from sin to holiness. So we could go from, I'm primarily concerned about me, myself, and my agenda, to being primarily concerned about God's work in the world and His glory and passion for that. New Testament scholar Femi Perkins puts it this way. She says, faith without works, that's what we're talking about, spares individuals the embarrassment of radical disruption in their lives and relationships. Did you catch that? Faith without works spares us embarrassment. You can be well-to-do, respectable, and go to church every week and never do anything, and everybody, ah, oh, swell guy, goes to church. <laughs> There's no radical disruption, because radical disruptions can be embarrassing after all, can't they? That day you're sitting there and with a colleague or a golfing buddy or somebody and the spirit says hey you know you've known <laughs> you've known this friend for 10 years and somehow Jesus never came up there's a lot of trust in this relationship it goes a long way and maybe it's time to find a way to begin talking about the perfect love of Christ that can touch the your friend where he or she hurts 
and grieves and is sorrowful and feels guilt and shame, all those things. And we go, but what will my friend think of me? Is the friendship in danger if I bring religion into it? And we have all these, we start negotiating the terms of things, don't we? And I get it, friends, it's scary. I've been in those situations, I've been in a conversation and felt the urging of the Holy Spirit to, hey, here's an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Here's an opportunity to speak words of life to this person. And I'm sad to say there have been times when I felt that urging and said, <laughs> I'm not ready for that right now. The Lord is gracious, though. He usually brings another opportunity along very quickly. Radical, just this radical transformation, radical change. I mean, Jesus, like the Son of God allowed His hands and his feet and his side and his face to be pierced by nails and thorns and spears so that we could just kind of go with the flow and just do what we always do. We did that to set us free from addiction and anger and self-love malice and all sorts all sorts of things. James says if we trust him, if we believe in him, he'll transform us. And if there's no transformation, like if I say I met Jesus and nothing happens in my life, if there's no just a even you need a little fruit. <laughs> if there's nothing there, James says, that's a red flag, friends. That is a red flag. We need to pay attention to those red flags. This faithful life is one where our priorities are reevaluated. They are reevaluated in light of the death and resurrection of Jesus, the coming and the advancement of the kingdom of God. For James, that has much to do with caring for the poor. If you take a look at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, eat your fill. <laughs> it's just it's like tone deaf, isn't it? Not paying attention, James says. says. If you don't care for their needs, what good is it? Faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. James wants the church showing people God's love in their poverty. He wants the church engaged in mission. He wants the church engaged with the community, engaged with the world, actively embodying God's love, becoming conduits of God's perfect love, revealed in Jesus that transforms his people and enables them to joyfully, joyfully, carry that everywhere they go.
James also wants us to know that no one is outside the reach of grace. You may have been wondering why I mentioned Rahab, the prostitute. Not a Jewish person, and in the old, or a Hebrew person in the Old Testament. If you're not Hebrew, that's a big mark against you. And then her profession was a massive mark against her. And yet, God used her to rescue his people. No one, James wants us to understand, is so far gone that the grace of God cannot touch their lives and bring transformation. No one is so great a sinner that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ can't wash away their sin. No one carries so much guilt that Jesus just comes and says, hey, my hands are empty, there's nothing I can do, you're just, it's just too much. <laughs> no, Jesus says, my hands are scarred. Because nothing you bring to me is too much. I mean, there may be people in the room who are experiencing that. How could Jesus love me if he knows what I've done? How could he love me if he knows the hurt I've caused? How can he love me if he knows the shame I've carried? The answer is, his love is infinite and perfect in every way, and no one is outside the reach of that love. And that's why James mentions Rahab. So what does it look like? What do we have to do? What's the invitation that James offers us? James invites us to a rich, thick, robust, living faith. Do you believe in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Jesus died and raised for our forgiveness and new life. One church, holy, apostolic, universal. Do we believe in these things? If we do, it makes us a certain kind of people. moves us to live in certain ways and calls us to be on guard and attentive on guard and attentive to those times where we can become casual about our faith and that happens sometimes and that's it's just there it's there for pastors it's there for the laity, it's there for, like, everybody can face the temptation to get caught up in the busyness and the craziness and the schedule and their stuff, and I got to tend to the stuff, and I just got things to do, and, I, you know, we just kind of put, put Jesus on the sidelines for a minute, and I get that. I get it. But following Jesus in a way that changes the world means that Jesus becomes the reference point for all of it. And that's the invitation. 
living faith, deeper faith, transforming faith. The question is, do you want it? Do I want it? Do we want it? Do we want Jesus to change us? Or are we comfortable with the way things are? You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.